The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. So what happens when a feminist author, a loony third wave feminist activist, an author and a political advisor to Al Gore and Bill Clinton, what happens when it when she finds out on the air as she's peddling her book that her entire premise of her book is completely bunk? It's glorious what happens. We're going to hear that in a little bit, but a little background on who I'm talking about. Naomi Wolf, she is a liberal, progressive, feminist author, journalist, former political advisor to Al Gore and Bill Clinton. She has a new book out, and she went out to peddle it. Um, Her background is pretty interesting. She has examined how modern Western women, born in inclusive, egalitarian liberal uh, democracies, are assuming positions of leadership in neo-fascist political movements. Quote, Second-wave feminist theory abounds in assertions that war, racism, love of hierarchy, and general uh, repressiveness belong to the patriarchy. Women's leadership, by contrast, would naturally create a more inclusive, collaborative world. The problem is that it never worked out that way, as the rise of women to leadership positions in Western Europe's far-right parties should remind us. Leaders such as Marie Le Pen of France and the National Front, uh, Paya of uh, Denmark, the People's Party, Siv Jensen of Norway's Pro- uh, Progress Party reflect the enduring appeal of neo-fascist movements to many modern women in egalitarian, inclusive liberal democracies. She goes on about Islamic countries and women and their role. She spoke about the dress required of women living in Muslim countries. The West interprets veiling as repression of women and suppression of their sexuality. But when I traveled to Muslim countries and was invited to join in a discussion in women-only settings within Muslim homes, I learned that Muslim attitudes toward women's appearance and sexuality are not rooted in repression, but in a strong sense of public versus private, of what is due to God and what is due to one's husband. It is not that Islam suppresses uh, sexuality, but that it embodies a strong, developed sense of its appropriate channeling towards marriage, the bonds that sustain family life, and the attachment that secures a home. So on one side, she's going to talk about the patriarchy in in the West, and then she's going to glamorize women having to cover themselves up in public as some sort of reverence to God, as if they even care about God, whether it's Allah or it's Jesus or down the line. (laughs) Now, in 2004, Wolf wrote an article for the New York Magazine accusing literary scholar Harold Bloom of sexual encroachment more than two decades earlier by touching her thigh. She said that what she alleged Bloom did was not harassment, either legally or emotionally, but she did not think of herself as a victim, but that she had harbored this secret for 21 years. This is what she said to explain it. I began nearly a year ago to try privately to start a conversation with my alma mater that would reassure me that steps have been taken to ensuring years of 
unwanted sexual advances that these weren't still occurring. I expected Yale to be responsive. After nine months and many calls and emails, I was shocked to conclude that the atmosphere of collusion that had helped to keep me quiet 20 years ago was still intact, as secret as a or as secretive as a Masonic Lodge. Yeah, she's a... Uh, She's an interesting character. So she's got this new book out, and she's basically peddling a book about sexuality and the criminalization of sexuality. Um, it's, you know, it's feminism. I mean, she, Ian Miles Chong said, Naomi Wolf is a feminist hack who weaved about a book out of a misunderstanding of an archaic legal term in order to defend a pedophile who raped a six-year-old in a sordid attempt to vilify Western civilization and the British legal system as queerphobic. So she gets on this radio show, and she's talking about how, you know, the old laws and the, and the establishment of, of the West, how it was so, you know, homophobic, and, and she gets through talking about it, and the interview discovers something really interesting. Let's listen, because it's fun. You get sentences, as I mentioned, of penal servitude for 10 or 15 years. And I found, like, several dozen executions. Uh, but that was, again, only looking at the um, Old Bailey records and the crime tables. Uh, several originally. dozen executions. Correct. And this corrects a misapprehension um, that is in every website that the last man was executed for sodomy in Britain in, in 1835. I don't, I don't think you're right about this. One of the cases that you look at that, that, that's salient in your report is that of Thomas Silver. It says, um, teenagers were now convicted more often. Indeed, that year, uh, which is 1859, 14-year-old um, Thomas Silver was actually executed for committing sodomy. The boy was indicted for an unnatural offence, guilty, death recorded. This is the first time the phrase unnatural offence entered the Old Bailey records. Thomas Silver wasn't executed. Death recorded. I, I was really surprised by this, and I, I, I looked it up. Death recorded is, the, is what's in, I think, most of these cases that you've, uh, um, you've identified as executions. It doesn't mean that he was executed. It was a category that was created in 1823 that allowed judges to abstain from pronouncing a sentence of death on any capital convict whom they considered to be a fit subject for pardon. I don't think any of the executions you've identified here actually happened. Well, that's a really important thing to investigate. What is your... What is your understanding of well, what death recorded means? Death recorded, this is also from, that, I've just read you the definition of it there from the Old Bailey website. But I've got here a newspaper report about Thomas Silver and also something uh, from, uh, from the prison records that, that show the date of his discharge. The prisoner was found guilty and sentence of death was recorded. Yeah. Ah, but see, but the, the jury recommended the prisoner to mercy on account of his youth. See, I think this, I think this is a kind of... When I found this, I didn't really know what to do with it because I think it is—I think it's quite a big problem with your argument. Also, it's the nature of the offence here. Thomas Silver committed an indecent assault on a six-year-old boy. Rot roll! Oh snap! Yeah, let's let's investigate that, Ms. Wolf. You know, it kind of reminds me of that skit. I don't know if you've listened to the Adam Sandler comedy uh, audio albums that he had. But he had one 
where he's hanging out with, I think it was David Spade. And they said, oh, I found these beers in the woods. Oh, man, I'm so drunk. I can't, oh, man. Yeah, uh, that was actually apple juice. So uh, I'm going to have to, you know, call you out and bust you on that. Oh, man. You see this bag of weed? Oh, man, I'm so high, dude. It's like, yeah, that's actually pencil shaving. So yet again, I'm going to have to bust you. That's kind of, I mean, she gets busted on her premise by the interviewer. Now, the interviewer is being nice about it because that's what they do. If, if she was writing a conservative book, that interviewer would have skewered her. But, you know, this is the BBC. But you probably should have investigated that. It sounds like the BBC interviewer, yeah, he investigated it quite a bit because he knew all about it. But see, this is what happens when leftist organizations put money into dying brands like CNN, propping them up when the ratings and every other measure of performance show that this entity should just be closed up, turn off the lights, somebody grab the door on the way out. And so she ends up writing a book, not fact-checking one little bit of it. A lot of people were defending her saying, well, you know, if you fact-check, if you pay to have somebody fact-check, say, a book of 100,000 pages or 100,000 words, um, it's going to cost about 10 grand to have it fact-checked properly. And they went through this whole thing about the fact-checking process, and somebody made a good point. You know, all she had to do was Google it. <laughs> I mean... Just take a little, but you know, hey, narrative needs to be upheld, not truth. We have to, we have to carry the lie and make it seem as though it is truth so that then we can vilify freedom and democracy and push us towards some sort of other form of government. But I mean, not one bit of fact-checking on her end? Not, not fact-checking the major linchpin, the fulcrum to this entire premise? Somebody put money behind it. Somebody did the editing, the proofreading. She wasn't thinking about uh, writing the book when she was talking about that subject. The book was already written. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we deal with with people like Naomi Wolf. I love this from The Spectator. The false history from Naomi Wolf and Mark Lamont Hill. Did the Victorians execute dozens of men for sodomy? Yes, according to Naomi Wolf, who has a PhD from Oxford and a vivid imagination. Are the Jews an identity category of the Palestinians? Yes, according to Mark Lamont Hill, a professor of an in intellect so powerful that he professes at Temple University in two sp sp specific fields, media studies and urban education. The correct answers are sadly no and no, so see me after class. Last night, old people across Britain choked on their cocoa as Wolf plugged her book, Outrages, on BBC Radio. Wolf had visited the archives of the Old Bailey, London's chief court, claims to have discovered several dozen executions of gay men in Victorian Britain, and has written a book about how awful the Victorians were. The Truth, host and historian Matthew Sweet, explained to Wolf in an excruciating interview, it's the opposite. The verdict, death recorded, which Wolf takes as proof of execution, was created in 1823 to allow judges to abstain pronouncing a death sentence. Worse, one of the men that Wolf describes as being executed as a victim of Victorian homophobia was prosecuted and not executed for raping a child. Well, that's really interesting. That's a really interesting thing to investigate, Wolf understood. Earlier this week, it was Farrakhan chum Mark Lamont Hill's turn to demonstrate his <laughs> magical ignorance. The Merzaki Jews are Eastern Jews. Merzak means East. 
Since the medieval era, the term has denoted Jewish communities in Arab countries in the Middle East and North Africa, as well as Iran, and also from as far as India, parts of Central Asia and China. As of 2005, 61% of the Israeli Jews were of Merzaki extraction. That's right. The state demonized by the left and the academy as a white settler state is the state of brown-skinned people who never left the Middle East. Mark Lamont Hill inverts fact and logic when he describes the term Merzaki as has meant the same thing for nearly a thousand years as a subcategory of recently invented Palestinian identity. Neither of these intellectual frauds are exposed by academics, even though academics insist on their probability of their interrogations and interventions. It was a writer, Matthew Sweet, not the singer, girlfriend, you know, who demolished Wolf's uh, false history on the radio by simple expedient looking up of the meaning of death recorded. Did a little Googling there. Mark Lamont Hill's false history was exposed on Twitter by Israeli activist Hen Mazik, whose family immigrated from Iraq and Morocco, and by simply, you know, looking at the historical record. The reason that academics don't expose these kinds of false history is that they're paid to promote them. The academic humanities have long since turned into a witch hunt against West, or against the West. The verdict is in before the evidence is read, and the verdict is delivered as impenetrable drivel. Apart from breeding ignorance and laziness of the kind of displayed by Dr. Wolf and Professor Hill, this, driving, this is driving college students away from the humanities. And he's right. They do this to demonize the West. And that's why I actually wanted to spend a little bit of time even covering it, because I think you all need to watch the West <laughs> fight back with truth especially when it's exposed on BBC Radio for everyone to hear. So feminism took a bit of a hit with Naomi Wolf getting busted on her homosexuality is deeply rooted in Europeans' founding in their culture. But that doesn't stop them from wheeling out people that they think are influencers and pressing them with all types of ridiculous stances. You know, do you, did you realize there was an issue with menstruation, with women's uh, periods? Apparently that's a thing. I mean, I know around my house it's a thing <laughs> here every, every so often. And apparently on May 28th, not only did we also just get through Remembering our fallen uh, military that have fought for our freedom. But we also are coming upon Menstrual Hygiene Day, which is May 28th. It's an annual awareness day. To uh, It was initiated by the German-based NGO WASH United back in 2014. And it aims to benefit girls and women worldwide. I mean, men are pretty well aware of menstrual hygiene day or just menstruation in period. But apparently Bussy Phillips needed to come out on CBS. Now she has like 300 and some thousand followers on Twitter. She had a TV show on the E network and it's been canceled, but apparently she had to get out there and talk about menstruation and how no one is talking about it. Yeah, because it's not an issue. Why is this an issue? I'll tell you why in a moment, but 
You know, they even made a film. A freaking film was made that won an Academy Award. So, Bussy Phillips wants to raise awareness of periods. Something that happens to half of the population once a month shouldn't be a taboo subject, I think. I mean, to be totally honest, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but like if men had their periods, it would be like f***ing celebrated. You know, it would be like a holiday. They would get the week off of work and probably the week before and then like the four days after their period ends so that they could recover. I, it would just be a different, it would just be a different, <laughs> different experience. But men do not get periods. Women get periods. Yeah, you know, um, if, if men had periods, we wouldn't be celebrating it. We'd be yelling about it. We'd be mad as hell. But, you know, oh, half the population has one, but no one's talking about it. Yeah, because it's not an issue. You know, it's no different than having some sort of bodily function that happens within you. Sorry that women have it. Sorry that you are affected by it. Again, it goes back to biblical uh, roles of women. I mean, uh, bi- biblical roles of gender. Not just of women, but of men too. Because labor in Genesis, it states that labor was going to be a painful thing. Things like menstruation and all that. That's, that's, <laughs> it's things that just happen because women are women. Men are men. But this is a UN thing. Believe it or not, I've tried to figure this out for the longest time. Menstrual hygiene, a human's rights issue. And this is from humanrightswatch.org. The simple biological fact of menstruation shouldn't be a barrier to gender equality or stymie women's and girls' realization of their human rights. Humans Rights Watch and Wash United, who we just talked about, who is doing the menstruation day, These organizations released a guide for aid and development groups and others who work with women's and girls groups to address issues in human rights and menstrual hygiene in their programming. Most men and women will menstruate every month between uh, monarchy and menopause, yet this normal bodily function is still met with silence and taboos and stigma. Women and girls the world over face numerous challenges in managing their menstruation, which shouldn't be a straightforward issue of privacy and health. Pads and other supplies may be unavailable or unaffordable. That's the thing that really got me. I was going, they're pushing this whole thing that tampons aren't available? Have you been in a women's restroom? It's the same thing as them complaining about birth control. Yeah, you know, we need to have abortion because access to birth control is... You can buy rubbers in the gas station bathroom. For 25, 50 cents, something like that. You know, I mean, there is access. And, and that's one of the things that they wheeled Bussy Phillips out for because she is on a TV show that is now canceled. She was on E! No one's heard of her. Her ratings were awful. And all of a sudden, she does this goodbye farewell episode and she drops this abortion bomb on her audience. So I think now she's now an, an influencer activist that they can wheel out on CBS. Listen to this. Well, 
listen, I have to say something. Um, here at Busy Tonight, you know, we tend not to be overtly political, but, you know, as it turns out, I'm just trying to be like a woman in the world is political. And I have a thing that I would like to say. And um, I hope that whatever it is that you believe personally, um, that maybe you'll be open to hearing what I'm saying. Um, so this morning, Georgia's governor signed a bill effectively banning abortion after five to six weeks into pregnancy. That's before most women even know that they're pregnant. Um, I know that people feel very strongly about abortion, but let me just say this. Women and their doctors are in the best position to make informed decisions about what is best for them. Nobody else. Nobody. Um, and and here, is, here is the reality. And we know this from before Roe v. Wade was passed. No bill that criminalizes abortion will stop anyone from making this incredibly personal choice, but these laws will put more women at risk. Every woman deserves compassion and care, not judgment and interference when it comes to their own bodies. The statistic is one in four women will have an abortion before age 45. And that statistic sometimes surprises people. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know a woman who would have an abortion. Well, you know me. I had an abortion when I was 15 years old. And I'm telling you this because I'm genuinely really scared for women and girls uh, all over this country. And I think that we all need to be talking more and sharing our stories more. So let's talk about the Met Gala. Is that? Uh so yeah, Bussy Phillips. Yeah, I had an abortion. I'm so scared for women. I'm so scared for little girls. What's going to happen? Hey, what happened with Hollywood today? I mean, really? Maybe that's why your show was canceled. But there's this push, and I've seen this for a while, and it never made sense why the UN has to step in and give out free tampons, because apparently that's something that's happening the world over uh, in third world nations. And of course, if the UN wants the United States to be comportable or compatible or be able to comport into a global union, well, then they have to get us on the same page with all of their pet projects. That's why climate change is such an issue to them. That's why they have to do, we have to give up our dependence and decarbonize, which we'll get into in just a little bit, on all sorts of energy issues because we have to be ready. We have to minimize our stance in the world so that we are available to give in to a global union, put us on the same page, because a strong America works against the globalization of nations. You can't have a strong America because we'll just tell you to go pound sand. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. You know, we've had a ton of tornadoes throughout the country. We want to keep those people in the Midwest and also in, uh, well, yeah, out in Ohio as well. In our prayers, thoughts and prayers, which progressives hate. 
But we want to pray for them because they've been hit with a ton of tornadoes. It's been insane. And I'm not talking about political tornadoes like the Mueller press conference. Did you see that? He basically solidified both sides. He got out there and and I'm waiting for the Twitter sphere. If you're on Twitter, I'm waiting for let's change the Constitution so we can actually try a sitting president Twitter to happen because that's coming. But basically, he said we don't see any evidence of tampering by the or between Trump and the Russians directly. And at the same time, even if we could charge him with a crime, we can't because of the Constitution and the fact that a sitting president can't be tried. So other means impeachment should be tried. And he kind of just left it out there. Of course, the news media is going to pick it up as though he's affirming everything that they thought. And they'll hopefully start a impeachment proceedings on nothing because that's how we operate these days. Banana Republic style. We'll just 86 the president because we didn't like him. We didn't want him to win. We wanted her to win. Guess what? Even if he does get impeached, Hillary Clinton doesn't get in office. Mike Pence does, you morons. But anyways, that political tornado isn't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the outbreak of tornadoes in Oklahoma, Ohio, Kansas. All devastating. In fact, check out this Ohio weatherman as he gets pissed off at his viewers who were blowing up his channel's social media because they were mad that he interrupted the Bachelorette to warn his audience of the tornado outbreak. This heavy rain is between you and the tornado. That's why this is a dangerous situation tonight. It's dark. It's also rainy. Uh, I was just checking social media. We have viewers complaining already. Just go back to the show. No, we're not going back to the show, folks. This is a dangerous situation, okay? It's nice, right? Think about this. This was your neighborhood. I'm sick and tired of people complaining about this. Our job here is to keep people safe, and that is what we're going to do. Some of you complain that this is all about my ego. Stop. Okay, just stop right now. It's not. I'm, st I'm done with you people. I really am. This is pathetic. Sit dangerous situation here. All right, I'm sorry I did that. I'm just, it just really bothers me that... We have people that don't care about other people's safety around here. That's just ridiculous. New tornado warning here. Oh, that's the same. In my opinion, if you are a fan of The Bachelorette, you probably deserve that tornado to come roaring through your freaking house. <laughs> I mean, I would think you are the recipient of a tornado hitting you without seeing it coming. So, yeah, you should be willfully blind to everything. You probably, I mean, you most likely didn't see anything about the Mueller report, but yet you're probably going to skim through People Magazine on the checkout aisle and say, well, Donald Trump should be impeached. And when someone asks you why, you will have no freaking clue. But the climate crisis criers, they are all blaming this on global warming. And in fact, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez put out a tweet about the Ohio weatherman this guy reminds me of every climate scientist warning people we have 12 years left to cut emissions in half before our future is irreversibly damaged and all the GOP wants to do is yell about communist cow farts. No, we're taking, we're not going to back down. We're not going back to the show. She's talking about the floods in Arkansas and her Justice Democrats group who basically propelled her into uh, prominence. They tweeted out, homeowners are learning an ugly truth. 
Their homeowner's policy doesn't cover water damage like this. That requires a specific federal flood insurance policy. This is terrible. We need Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Mark, uh, Markey's Green New Deal now. Not sure why. I guess they're trying to say that the climate change issue is causing floods in places that don't get floods. So nobody got home insurance policies for flood insurance. And now that they are inundated with floodwaters, they have no reciprocity, I guess. I mean, it's a horrible leap, but that's what the fear mongering left does. That's all they do. They continually try to scare people and take weather events, regular occurring weather events, and attribute it to climate change because climate change is about control. It's not about saving the environment. And that, that's the dirty little secret that they don't ever want to admit. It is a change of our economy. It is a change of how we rely on energy, on sources that are unreliable. They're not fully developed to the point where they can step in. I can tell you right now, most businesses out there, if they could find the way to crack that nut and find something that is, you know, as renewable as they say it is, which I don't, they're not recycling energy. The, the renewable energy is a, is a false term. If there's something that they could crack into that they consider cleaner and environmentally friendly and also health friendly to the human beings, well, then they would market that. They would build that and they would be the first to go to market with it. They don't need government to mandate it all. But it's a cry from the UN. Now, Steve Goddard, who's from realclimatescience.com, he put out on May 29th, 1934. Wow, May 29th. That's the day after World Menstruation Day. By the way, don't forget to order your special someone a dozen red roses and a red velvet cake to celebrate Happy Menstruation Day. You know, we talked about that earlier. So I don't want it's a friendly reminder to you. I don't want you to be in the doghouse and you're sitting in your man cave because you dropped the ball on celebrating menstruation day which is may 28th on may 29th 1934 it was 105 degrees in iowa that's 1934 and 100 degrees in minnesota more than 40 degrees warmer than tomorrow's forecast imagine the mass climate hysteria if we had temperatures like that hot tomorrow no kidding and he actually digs through some history. It's pretty pretty interesting. He found this one um, this one news story from the Wichita Beacon Sunday Magazine. This is May fourteenth, nineteen twenty two. Relative to tornado frequency in Kansas, as compared with other states, Professor Cleveland Abe, then editor of the Monthly Weather Review, published in eighteen oh seven a table showing the tornado frequency for every state in the union a unit area of 10,000 square miles being chosen as the basis of comparison so that whether a state was large or small, a true basis for the ex uh, expectancy of occurrence of a tornado in any locality might be clearly shown. The record, which forms the basis of the comparative study, covers a period of 16 years from 1874 to 1881 compiled by Lieutenant John P. Finley, of the Signal Service U.S. Army, the Signal Service was the pre uh, the predecessor of the Weather Bureau, 
and from 1880 to 1886, compiled by Professor A.J. Henry, the present editor of the Monthly Weather Review. The table would show Illinois as being slightly in the lead in frequency of occurrence per unit area. New Jersey, second. Kansas, third. Maryland, fourth. Massachusetts, fifth. Iowa, sixth. Indian or Indiana, seventh. Missouri, eighth. Ohio, ninth. Georgia, tenth. Pennsylvania, eleventh. And so on, down to no reported tornadoes in several states. That was in 1922. I don't think they were having big climate issues. Maybe the uh, Industrial Revolution with the trains. I don't know. But seems to me that some of these tornadoes that are occurring in other areas, you know, New York just had a tornado warning from what I understand. Some of these tornado, tor- some of this tornadic activity is not attributed to global warming. And, it, and also the fact that it's occurring in other states other than what we typically hear about, Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, right there in the Dust Bowl. <laughs> they were occurring in those random states in the past. So this is all fear-mongering by the left. It always is. It's just their way to push this agenda. Now, while Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to blame the tornadic activity that we had on climate change, and she's also talking about how we need to really cut back because we only have 12 years left. Apparently, we have less time than that. The UK Daily Mail. This came out June 29th, 2017. Four years to save the Earth. 2020 is the deadline to avert climate catastrophe, experts claim, in chilling commentary. A world that heats up beyond that threshold will face a crescendo of devastating impacts ranging from deadly heat waves to mass migration caused by rising seas, experts warned in a commentary published in the science journal Nature. With 1.0 degrees Celsius, a 1.8 degree Fahrenheit of warming so far, ice sheets that could lift oceans by dozens of meters are melting more quickly. Coral reefs are dying from heat stress and ever more damaging storm surges are hammering coastal communities. The transition to cleaner energy sources is well underway and is backed by a broad consensus on the need to back or beat back the threat of climate change with the notable exception of the United States under President Donald Trump. <laughs> there it is. After rising for decades, that's where the, where the 2020 comes in, you know. We have to beat Donald Trump in 2020 to save the Earth. After rising for decades, global emissions of carbon dioxide, driven by burning of fossil fuels, have leveled off during the past two years at about 41 billion tons per year. But even at this rate, the planet's carbon budget, the amount of CO2 that can be released into the atmosphere without crossing the 2.0 Celsius or 3.6 Fahrenheit red line, would be used up within a couple of decades, perhaps sooner. There is a long way to go to decarbonize the world's economy. Check that out, to decarbonize the world's economy. According to a commentary signed by former UN climate chief, Christiana Figueres, I think I talked about her before, three top climate scientists and two sustainability experts from the private sector. When it comes to climate, timing is everything, they wrote. The authors called on leaders to uh, set to gather at the G20 summit in Hamburg, Germany on July 7th through the 8th to highlight 2020 
as a make-or-break point for action. But after uh, President Trump's decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement, signed by 196 parties, and his refusal to join a climate consensus at the G7 summit in late March, such an outcome seems doubtful. Yeah, um, about that Paris Climate Accord, you know, we actually are uh, exceeding it. I think I talked about this in the past. Bloomberg, U.S. meeting Paris climate goals without being a part of the agreement. Former New York City mayor and possible 2020 candidate Michael Bloomberg said that the United States is meeting the goals of the Paris climate accords despite withdrawing from the agreement. Last year, President Donald Trump announced the U.S. would pull out of the Paris climate Go- accord, a global agreement to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Then on Meet the Press... Bloomberg stated, not a lot because we are halfway towards meeting our goals already if there would be an impact on the U.S. if they decided to rejoin the agreement. So there's not a lot of uh, effects that would come if we decided to join up because we're already making that happen. We're already exceeding it. Somebody said, oh, you know, you're never going to get this. It's ridiculous to think that America is going to meet its goals. We're halfway there already and there's seven years left to go. The economics of coal means no one will stop the reduction of the amount of coal. We've done a bunch of things that we've promised to do under that agreement that Trump said we were not going to do. And he walked away. But yet we're beating the goals. It's amazing. These people are unreal. But that's that's where we're at, because they want to hold us to this standard to change our economy. And they're talking about, well, you know, yeah, we're not in the Paris Accords. But freaking Syria is. Any chance that Syria was beaten into submission to join this thing? Look what they're doing to... I I would think the carbon emissions from the exploding rockets in the neighborhoods decimated would probably add to the carbon footprint somewhere. I don't know. Just Maybe it's just me. And then we've got these stupid videos about sea life. Is is the climate change going to make the sea life go blind? Oh my gosh, what are we going to do about that? Climate change could cause sea creatures to go blind because of fluctuating oxygen levels in the world's oceans. From natural and human-induced processes, researchers saw a significant drop in retinal activity of four species when they were placed in reduced oxygen environments. So as little as 30 minutes in reduced oxygen environments, When the oxygen levels were restored, most animals' vision returned to normal. So now we've got to change the entire American economy because we want those four species to be able to see. We want them to be able to swim around and uh, and be free. It's ridiculous. And the Washington Times actually comes in with something that's pretty interesting, too. Who's the cleanest of them all? Take a wild guess. What country is reducing its greenhouse gas emissions the most? Canada, Britain, France, India, Germany, Japan? Nope. The answer to that question is the United States. How could that be? This must be a misprint. Fake news. America never signed the Kyoto Protocol some two decades ago. We never enacted a carbon tax. We don't have a cap-and-trade carbon emission program. And that environmental villain, Donald Trump, pulled America out of the Paris uh, Climate Accord that was signed almost entire entirely by the rest of the world yet the latest world climate report from the bp statistical review of the world energy 
finds that in 2017, America reduced its carbon emissions by 0.5%, the most of all major countries. That's especially impressive given that our country grew or our economy grew by nearly 3%. So we had more growth and less pollution. The best of all worlds. The major reason for the reduction in pollution levels is the shale oil and gas revolution that is transitioning the world to cheap and clean natural gas for electric power generation. Meanwhile, as our emissions fell, the, po uh, the pollution levels rose internationally and by a larger amount than previous years. So, so much for the rest of the world going green. Listen to this. This is the part that really gets me. The world's largest emitter of carbon dioxide emissions is China. Well, we know that. But according to the Invaluable Institute for Energy Research, China produces 28% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions. India is the world's third largest emitter of carbon dioxide and had the second largest inc uh, increment, 93 million metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions in 2017, more than twice as much as an increase as the U.S. reduction. For every ton of reduced pollution the United States emits, China and India produce almost 10 more tons. This means it doesn't really matter how much America reduces its greenhouse gases because China and India cancel out any and all progress we make. Yep. And some, somehow China's the standard. You know, we go over to Sochi and we have all these people wearing SARS masks for the Olympics. And, oh, the left loves them. Look at how, look at how choreographed they are when they're marching and they're swimming. And, yeah, that's right. They're doping up their little kids so that they could compete with us on a level that we can't even compete on. Oh, look at that. Yeah, they, they're in lockstep because they're in a communist country and they're forced to be lockstep. But, you know, we're going to glamorize China and we're going to allow them to be the ones to enact a 5G network in the country. And at the same time, we're going to vilify America as being the biggest emitter of, uh, of greenhouse gases when it's obviously not true. So these are things we need to think about. When someone talks about global warming and they see a flood in Arkansas or they see tornadoes, they see hurricane season speeding up, which we really haven't had a heavy hurricane season in quite some time. And I live on the coast. I live close enough to watch my little vacation town, which is about two hours, maybe about an hour and a half away from me at the Outer Banks, Nag's Head. I, I watched them get spanked every freaking year for a while. During, during my youth, there hasn't been many hurricanes in quite some time. But we're going to try to attribute all of that on global warming. And some of the players that are supposed to be the standard bearers, like China, aren't even stepping up. All right, let's finish it off with this. Canada news media. This is a great one. Scientists discover China has been secretly emitting banned ozone-depleting gas. Yep, a chemical band around the globe for the last 30 years has made an unfortunate resurgence. And all signs in a new study point to China as the culprit. In the 1980s, countries came together to sign the Montreal Protocol on substances that deplete the ozone layer. Remember that? That's when uh, the cockrock metal scene was at its highest. They were using the Aquanet like it's going out of style, whether it was uh, poison or Skid Row and... 
And next thing you know, we've got this hole in the ozone that we've got to get rid of aerosols and, and bring the ozone back. To which, I don't know, I, I think the ozone's fine now and we're still using aerosols. But a landmark treaty designed to halt and reduce the production of chlorofluorocarbons, chemicals used in fridges and foams that had the side effect of tearing through the Earth's ozone layer. The Montreal Protocol had been signed by 197 countries around the world, including Canada, U.S., and China, as the ozone layer in our upper atmosphere slowly depleted. Until last year, when the scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association found that the global emissions trichlorofluoromethane have actually increased since 2013. The increase implied that some of them was secretly violating the Montreal Protocol. But the limitations of measuring devices meant the location of the polluter could only be traced to somewhere in East Asia. I wonder where. <laughs> now, in a new study published in Nature again on May 22nd, scientists from the University of Bristol and Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, found that between 40 and 60% of the total global CFC-11 emissions originate from eastern China. Isn't that something? No one's pressing China because it's not about saving the earth. This is about building a global union. I don't want to go globalist, you know, and, and get you all riled up, but that's the, that's the standard. And everyone is rejecting this around the world. The elections... I think in uh, Bulgaria, they rejected it. They've got a far right, as they say, person winning office. Look at what happened in the Ukraine. Look at what's happening with Brexit. Theresa May stepping down. Um, Le Pen in France making strides. Hungary outright rejecting open borders, rejecting all of these points that the UN wants us to adhere to. Agenda 2030, that's why they're, they're kicking and screaming about saying we've got 10, 12, 12 years left to fix the, uh, the climate because of that fact. Same reason why they don't want Trump to be reelected, because that stunts that movement. And that's one of the reasons why we have to really fight back against the left. You know, yeah, maybe Donald Trump was hanging out with Kim Jong-un and they were yucking it up, ripping on Joe Biden. I don't care as long as he's not, you know, giving them pallets full of cash. But I will vote for somebody who has my interest and can be a wedge against the left's movement because the left is fully motiv motivated for progressivism. MoveOn.org said they want a progressive candidate. They said if they get a moderate one, they'll take that too. But they're on the march and we really have to stop them in their tracks because we can't go down the road that we went down under the Obama administration for eight years. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 50 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to Mojo50.com every Wednesday, 10 p.m. You can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday. 5 p.m. Sunday morning, midnight. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. 
You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.